Hi everyone, this is Adrienne Jones, founder of Future of Work Network. If you're not familiar with it, Future of Work Network is a community of organizational leaders who are reimagining work. The podcast you're about to listen to is a clip from one of our Future of Work Network live learning calls. Every other week, we gather together to hear from a guest who's doing or did something to help make the world of work better. After we hear from our guest, we break into breakout rooms to discuss a series of questions so that our members can immediately put into action their new learnings. I'm a firm believer that we can learn more when we learn together. So there'll never be a complete substitute for attending one of our live learning calls. But I also know that not everyone can make that time work. So that's why I created this podcast. So every member of our community can learn too. However, if you would like to join one of our live calls, you can sign up by going to my website at adrianejones.com. From there, click on the Future of Work button to sign up. You'll receive a personal invite to the Slack channel, and you'll be subscribed to our monthly newsletter, which includes a full calendar of events with registration to all of our live learning calls. I hope to see you on our next one. In today's episode, I interview Rihanna Brown, work futurist and founder of both Friday Lab and Work Futures, about the power of foresight and how it relates to the future of work. Have a listen, and then stick around at the end for three questions you can use to immediately put into action your new learnings from Rihanna. Awesome. Well, great to have you here. And I should just share the story briefly with our audience that we actually connected because I was searching on LinkedIn for other people who were identifying themselves as work futurists. (laughs) And your name popped up. And I was like, hmm, she looks really interesting we should talk. And then we had a conversation and we're just like head nodding the whole time around our ideas about the future of work and how we can use foresight and, you know, what our, how our work relates to the future of work. And so um, I definitely wanted you to come on the future of work network and share with the group. So let's dive into a few questions. Does that sound good? Sure. All right. So some people might be wondering, you know, I said the power of foresight, but what is that? Can you actually define it for us? And how do you think it's connected to the future of work? So it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because we kind of see foresight as something that's, um, uh, that's not already an innate capacity within us. Um, you know, we, we look at the weather and we take an umbrella because we think that there's a slight chance of rain. And that's our innate kind of capacity to have that uh, forward view and hold that anticipatory kind of sense of these are the things that could plausibly happen in the next 24 hours. If you live in Melbourne, we have four seasons in one day. So we're taking a hat, we're taking sunscreen, we're taking an umbrella and a jumper. Um, and I think that's a real innate, uh, innate kind of skill that we have as humans. And we can hold the complexity that there are a whole range of variables that could change what unfolds in the future. Because one core premise of the work that we do in um, futures is that the future hasn't happened. It's it's our ideas and images. You know, there's no future facts because it actually hasn't happened yet. What there are are patterns of change. And we look back twice as far as we do forward to say, what are some of those strong patterns of change? But equally, there are disruptions and we're living in one of those disruptions now. Um, it, it, to a lot of people, it's quite unimaginable that we'd be doing what we're doing right now, let alone, in fact, just zooming the other side of the world. 
um, but living in the pandemic and working the way that we are. So, so it's probably an important point actually to distinguish when I speak, I'll often talk about futures and futures is generally um, what we talk about as the research field. Foresight is often applied in a management context using the same tools and techniques. So you might hear strategic foresight inside an organization. Um, big organizations may have an entire kind of strategic foresight team. And part of it is that um, anticipatory element. How do we actually build a methodical way that we can scan for signals of change, that we can challenge our boundaries of um, what we think is possible, um, that we can look for the plausibility and impact of potential disruptions um, that may be emerging, like a pandemic, which to many people, particularly futurists and epidemiologists, for instance, this was not a, this was not a, um, this, there was a high certainty to a pandemic occurring. It was more so a matter of when. But to most of us, it was outside our range of what we, you know, outside our believable range of a thinkable future. So I think foresight to answer your question is, is both that innate capacity that we have, that innate anticipatory capacity to take a forward view and then make decisions in the present based on that. Um, and it's also a field of work, uh, an actual praxis inside um, organisations that has a systematic and methodical view of how do we do that at scale for organisations. And then you zoom out one more and you've got the field of future studies, which is the research field that um, uh, the academic part of this work often sits in. Does that, I hope that makes sense. It does. I have so many more questions. Um, <laughs> that's Go so interesting it. to me. Um, I could probably spend, you know, hours just asking you questions about this. I find it so intriguing. One of the things I'm wondering is just taking it a little bit deeper about how it connects to the future of work and, and where maybe companies and organizations are using either futures or foresight to plan. Can you take us there a little bit more? So every day we're making decisions about the future, uh, whether that's at the top of the organization about business strategy, whether that's about, you know, the, the appropriate level of, of clothing layers that I should have on because of the weather, but we're also making it about the work. So uh, my background in workforce planning is the space where we'd often make decisions about um, um, and assumptions about what we assume the future to be like, and then therefore we'd make particular decisions about the workforce that we need in that future, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So we'd oft, what we would often do um, in workforce planning is we would take a projection of what we have today or have had in the past with our workforce, the skills, the roles, the design. We'd have a little look into the future and say, all right, maybe, you know, in a health setting, maybe the population might grow like this, maybe chronic disease might grow like this. And we take what we have had or have now and we project it into the future and we assume a lot more of the same. We assume that the same roles that we have now will be relevant and helpful in the future. Uh, we assume that not many other variables will change. Um, so for me, that, that's where we actually started to hit a wall in the profession. I, I'd constantly be innately scanning and saying, but there's all of these signals of change that could entirely disrupt either that model or that way of thinking or that role or what about these risks and also opportunities. 
what are the opportunities we miss when we project and continue to assume that this role that we've designed and have now will be exactly what is needed in the future. So the work that I've been doing um, is combining my um, training in future studies with my practice, like with the application as a workforce planner and flipping it. So it, this is really about how can we get practical about the future of work and make decisions in the present. So future studies and foresight is always about decisions in the present. It's not out there and then, it's in here and now. Um, and what the, the kind of processes that I build with organisations is to say, let's not start with today. Let's not assume that what we have today is exactly what will be needed in the future because guess what? The future will be different from today. Um, in one way or another, and the further out in time, the broader the difference, and um, then you throw in a wild card like a pandemic, but um, the broader the range of plausibility. And we just forget that we've updated our priors. You know, five years ago, the stuff that we're doing now is kind of a bit mind bending, but we just assume that that was a normality, if that makes sense. So what, we, what I do is in helping organizations get practical about the future of work is, is flip it. We start by saying, how is our business changing? How is the industry changing? And how is work changing? And then we start to get a sense of, okay, here's, here's some of those changes. What happens when they bump into each other? What are plausible worlds that we could be living and operating and doing our work within? Um, and from that space, from that, from that future space, we then say, what would we need? What would our skills look like? What kind of learning would we need? Um, what would our type of workforce model look like? How flexible or decentralized or centralized would we need to be? And then only then do we say, based on what we've said we need, what do we have? And then the work is to do to close the gaps between the two. The work is to say, for us to get to that preferred future where we are doing X and we are thriving, and, we, and this is a resilient response because we've looked at all the range of what could happen, we need to close these gaps. We need to have some small experiments. I call them small bets in the long game. It could be strategies where we look at just setting up a, uh, a trial of a small, I'm making this up now, but cybersecurity projects because we don't want to have a big bet in a long game. We want to see and we constantly want to be revising what's changing in the environment. So the other flip is that this work is living. It's not set and forget. The plan isn't the end point. It's that constant scanning and saying, all right, what's changing? Okay, that's what we thought would be emerging, but that pattern's getting bigger. What do we want to do in the present with our workforce? How does it change our learning and, and development strategy here? Do we want to be thinking about, and this is a legitimate response, um, climate literacy as an emerging kind of foundation skill, the same way we think about STEM, for instance. That's the kind of thinking when we shift our thinking forward and start with, what might happen? What do we want to happen? What would we need? It fundamentally changes the way we respond in the present. Wow. Absolutely. It's just so intriguing to me. And I think you helped really spell it out very clearly and show it, it's kind of the flip of the way that we plan for things now based on a lot of the planning we do now is based on what has happened in the past rather than where we want to go in the future. Yeah, and then we, because we assume more of the same. It's a really innate human thing to do, we, but we know that it's not more of the same, one way or another. So part right. of the work that we do is to unpack what are those assumptions that we have about the future? What are our ideas and images 
And what blind spots does that kind of create? And how do we open that up? The more expansive the view, the more resilient we can be with our decisions in the present. Because I think for now, in these times, in these really complex and chaotic times, it's about making more resilient decisions in the present. And the way that we do that is by saying, what are the broad range of things that could emerge? How might they play out? And what would be our best response, our, our most resilient workforce across all of those, regardless of what was to, to occur? That's fascinating. Um, I, really, I really think there's hope, though, even though it's not innate yeah. for us to... Um, we automatically go to our assumptions and it's innate to do that, but it's also innate to plan. Like you are using the example of, you know, grabbing the umbrella and thinking ahead. So it's nice to know that those two things can actually live kind of on the same plane or happen at the same time. Um, and there's hope there that we can, can start to plan towards the future, not based on our assumptions, but based on where we want to go. Exactly. I think that's the most critical thing that's missed. Um, I think futures work for me is the, has been the most um, helpful way to build agency and pathways um, because we often speak as if the future is imposed on us. We'll hear language like we just need to keep up. What is it? How do we get ahead of the game? And it's like, actually, what if we could get a sense of what is emerging and say, that's our preference. That's my preferred future or our preferred future. This is where our preferred workforce is. Um, it changes the whole sense of agency and moves us away from this constant hamster wheel of keeping up and how do we stay ahead. And um, it, I just think we're playing in the wrong race. <laughs> There's a whole adjacent possibility, you know, an adjacent possibility that can occur at the same time using this kind of thinking and these types of tools. It doesn't, doesn't dismiss the importance of like operational workforce planning. We need to hold space for both. I think that's part of the challenge in 21st century organisations is how do I be the manager to keep the lights on? How do I be the visionary? Um, because we can't just assume that what we're doing today will be um, sustainable and profitable. And how do I be the entrepreneur that helps us get from where we are today to where we want to go? And being able to hold the tension and spaces that says we need to keep the lights on, we need to be innovating and thinking about doing things differently. Being able to hold that, I think, is one of the biggest strategic leadership challenges of our time. It's and both. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned a little bit about your work and how it's impacted your life. Can you tell us a little bit more about why you decided to go into this field and why you decided to start your company, The Friday Lab, and Work Futures? Yeah, so I, I touched on it briefly before. By trade, I'm a workforce planner um, and have a background in OD as well um, and all its iterations, uh, workforce development, organisational design. Um, I think in my time as a workforce planner, I really started to hit limits of that I could just see things and I constantly have that forward view in mind and see things that were emerging that will present as both disruptions and opportunities. Um, and the way that we were thinking about the future and then the, and then the actual activities and ways that we'd approach planning constantly locked us into the past. So, yeah, I decided, well, I, I need to go and study. I need to learn more methodical ways to um, help change the profession from inside the profession. 
like a Trojan horse. Um, but also I've got skin in the game. You know, I'm a workforce planner, a futurist, and I'm also a worker. Like I'm invested in this future because it's also the future of work. And we speak about it as a very abstract way through an organizational lens unconsciously. But I at Work Futures also talk about the future of workers. Um, we're the ones inside organizations consciously or unconsciously making decisions that impact our very own personal future. Um, and I, I think I got to the point where it was like, well, put up or shut up, go and learn and, you know, find ways to kind of challenge the profession and push it to its edges um, or move into a different space. So I chose that. And, and for me, what I'm really focusing on now is the combination of those things. So, so work futures, um, which is the primary lens I'll be doing my work at the moment. It's like it has two doors, workforce futures, where I work with organisations to say, hey, let's bring in some of this futures thinking and, and uh, approaches to workforce planning or, or future learning strategy or whatever element. Um, and let's look at that at an organisational scale. But behind the other door is, is worker futures. So let's look at personal futures and how workers navigate the future of work both of them have the same principles. It's about um, anticipating change, uh, looking at signals of change. It's about then saying, so what? What, are this what does this change mean for me in our organisation? What are the potential impacts and implications? Or what does it mean for me as an individual navigating the future of work? And then it's the then what? What would we need to do in the present? What are the actual actions that we need to be doing now to move us towards where we want to be going? Um, and that happens both for personal futures and organisational futures. But it's all about navigating the future of work, asking so what, then what, now what? And the principle kind of behind it also is that the future is created by action and inaction in the present. Doing nothing is also an action. And we often think it's much less riskier if we just kind of do nothing. But that in and of itself is moving us or you as a worker or us as an organisation to a particular future. And the question is, is that one we want? Great. Well, thank you. Um, we do have a lot of people in this group that are on their own, doing their own thing, entrepreneurs, that I'm sure would love to hear what you have to say about the future of work. And then a lot of people who are involved in organizational development, workforce planning in one way or another, who also I think will gain some insight. So thank you for sharing that. I have, I think, one last question. Sure. And whenever I say that, I always end up with two last questions. So <laughs> the next question is, you touched on this a little bit too, but I'm wondering if you can share what your biggest piece of advice would be for employers or again, people in general who want to use the power of foresight in their work. Yeah, um, it's a good point. I think um, actually just to touch on your last point, it, it was a really good example of talking about the people in the group and how they could benefit through that, both through their professional lens as people that working on L&D strategy or OD or workforce planning, but also their the individual lens is entrepreneurs. So the other stuff, the other space I'm interested in is the future of workers as a entrepreneur and how do we work together? How do we work in guilds and how do we create spaces that have a home base to support each other? What does a new kind of um, working apart but together, working independently but together, what does that look like? So that's also a really interesting space 
for me and how do we set that up? But to your point about um, advice, uh, for me, I think the, the big thing is in, well, there's a few things, but really around challenging your assumptions on the future. So we often think futures is about out there and then. And yes, a part of it is about um, looking at those structural patterns of change. But a part of it is also about turning the arrow back in. What, what is it that we've assumed and continue to assume? And, and we do that based on our beliefs systems, based on our industry. Um, uh, engineering might have a particular image of the future because that's very perpetuated in what they do, just as the same as the public service or, or whatever industry. So I think people that do this work really well are able to bend the arrow back in and to say, well, what have we assumed? Um, it can also be based on a, um, an ideology. It can be based on where you are in the world, um, race, identity, a whole bunch of things. And how has that limited um, our thinking, the, the breadth of kind of our thinking? The other thing is, I think, with this work, and I don't think we do this well in organisations, is... I talk about the politics of the future. So whose future is it? Uh, who's not in the room when we are having these conversations? Um, I think a lot of time, you know, it's a very common thing that a small echelon, upper echelon of um, management um, will go on a retreat and they come back with kind of the image of the future in their mind of where they want to be and what it will be like. And they've had this very transformative process that no one else has been involved in. And then it's up to the rest of the organisation to live out um, the everyday realities of, of what those images are. So we all have implicit images of the future. It's just how we kind of move through the world. Part of this work is about how do we make them explicit and then how do we make them collective? And that is a really powerful space when you can do that. So. What we don't do enough, I think, is how do we democratise this work? How do we make it participatory? Um, how do we open it up for others? Of all the work that I've done, some of the most powerful pieces have been in interviewing individuals as part of a scanning process and asking them what their kind of hopes and dreams are, for lack of a hopes and fears, for lack of a better phrase. And then sharing that as the collective and individuals, even in senior positions saying, I, no one has ever asked me that. Um, and I did not know that that's how everybody else felt. And then it's created this really powerful collective image of the future. And I feel like that's the type of space that we need to start moving organizations from. Absolutely. I don't think we talk much about hopes and fears in the workspace. <laughs> so embracing that concept could definitely help us move forward and consider what the future would be like in a way that is not assuming. So great. Thank it's, you it's for sharing It's such an innately tip. human thing. You know, I feel like life demands more of how we speak in organizations. And I know this is a radical thing to say, but we all do it. We turn up as the, I call it like the theater of work. And we're talking in this language that is devoid of just the human reality. So I do ask, what are your hopes and fears? And it is, it just punctuates the kind of the heart of the person. And they're saying, well, this or this, or and it, I don't know. I just, I, maybe I'm at that point professionally and personally where I just think 
what are we doing here? What are we, can we just have real conversations um, that are innately human, that really connect with us at the visceral level? Because that's actually when powerful action comes from that space. It's a bit of a rogue idea, but yes. Well, I love it. And I definitely think organizations being more human is only an advantage to organizations. I mean, you're working with people after all. So awesome. These are, these are such wonderful tidbits. Thank you for being here and thank you so much for sharing. Hi, Adrienne again. Thanks for listening to this episode. Here's three questions you can ask yourself to help put into action your new learnings about the power of foresight. Question one, what challenges do you see foresight working for? in general and in your work. Question two, what do you feel are some limitations to not using foresight in your work? And question three, what would be some barriers to using foresight in your work? How can you overcome these? That's it. Thank you everyone for listening. And I can't wait to see you on one of our live learning calls soon.